October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and recently the Resilience Think Tank hosted a free webinar on cyber resilience. This week's episode features the highlights of that webinar, and trust me, we've brought in the big guns to talk about this important topic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 106 of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by Michael Perdun of Cyber Defense Labs, Supervisory Special Agent Ken Schmutz of the FBI's Cyber Task Force, and Warren Hagelstein from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. We talk about emerging cyber threats, AI's impact on phishing, new SEC regulations, ransomware, and why small businesses are frequently targeted. We'll even provide you with some resources on where you can find more information and tabletop exercises. All right, so Warren, I'm going to start with you. Thanks for being here. And what are we seeing in terms of either increases or decreases on things like whether it's ransomware, denial of service attacks, and different things like that? What, what's going on right now? Yeah, so uh, kind of thinking about this question a little bit and, and some of the things that are going on is it's really a lot of a lot of the same things we've been seeing for for years, right? Um, kind of uh, took a look. Not, I don't want to steal any thunder from Ken on anything, but uh, kind of looked at the you know the FBI's uh, IC3 report that comes out every year for for things that are going on, uh, events and whatnot, and. Uh, you know, a lot of things we've been seeing uh, reported in there, you know, business email compromise, uh, ransomware is still uh, still an issue. Um, I, I think daily uh, you hear about it, you can find something as far as ransomware attacks uh, happening happening at organizations. Uh, but those are those are a lot of the key things that that are still going on, uh, continue to go on for organizations. Um, CISA, so one of the things that we just recently released because of course it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month is our uh, um, Secure the World, right? That's uh, uh, one of the things we're looking at as far as how folks can stay safe online, whether it's in their business or personal life, et cetera. And uh, one of the ways to protect against uh, some of these things, not necessarily, you know, business email compromise, but uh, um, being able to recognize and report phishing, uh, right, to try to combat some of these things, use strong passwords, at least 60 characters, uh, turn on and use MFA, uh, multi-factor authentication if you have it, and, and uh, of course, updating your software, right? Patching um, is kind of key, again, whether it's in your personal life or, or in your business. So uh, those are some of the things that we're seeing. Uh, one other thing that, that just comes to mind is ransomware. Um, attackers seem to be releasing that uh, even faster uh, than they have been in the past. I think I see, saw something the other day about 24 hours, right, for it to, to, to go and get released uh, in businesses. So uh, those are some of the trends uh, that, that I've been kind of seeing and, and focusing on. Hey, Ken, uh, Warren mentioned the IC3 report um, coming from the FBI. Can you tell everybody a little bit about like what, what that's all about? Yeah, IC3.gov. A lot of people ask when I'm out and about, um, how do we report something to the FBI? Say maybe, you know, it hasn't impacted you largely, but it's something new. Or maybe if it has impacted you and you just don't know where to report it. IC3.gov is absolutely a, a treasure of information that we uh, here locally, we search it, you know, twice a week um, to try to identify victims in our area of cyber crimes. But it's an easy place to go and, and fill out your information quickly and report if you've been a victim. Um, it's also a great place that we use to put victims together in a package 
because uh, maybe sometimes it's behold, you know, be below the threshold. Um, but there are definitely many different victims of the same crime. And so that's a, a place that we can put that together and develop a, um, an investigation for one of our field offices to work. There's also information if you're looking uh, about what the trends are, um, just like Warren just stated, they, they release a yearly report and it's specific down to the states and what's impacting each state. And so what's been reported there, again, those figures are only, you know, maybe five to 10% of, of what really is happening out there and what the real losses are. But it gives you an idea of the trends of things that are happening out there. So it'll help you pr protect yourself. So it's a great it's place such, to go. And we use it all the time. Such a low percentage because not everybody's reporting. Correct. Michael, what are you seeing as far as emerging threats? Like, are there new tendencies that maybe not everybody's aware of? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Warren and Ken hit hit on quite a few of them. We're, we're on pace to set new records for ransomware, both in terms of the number of attacks year to date, uh, and also the size of ransoms that, that, uh, that are being asked from organizations. So, you know, Ken mentioned, you know, kind of the, the scope and scale and, and the fact that there's such a low percentage of reporters out there. That's certainly something that that goes against, you know, figuring out emerging tactics that are that are happening. The faster that uh, we can report those into IC3, the FBI, Homeland Security, the faster we can develop uh, remediation, you know, steps in order to combat those. So, you know, I think one of the things that you're seeing on the horizon for us is the integration of artificial technology into everything that's happening. Talked about the the speed of uh, kind of emerging threats. That just makes it that much simpler, right? I mean, as you think about the double-edged sword for our organizations being able to leverage something like AI to work faster within your business operations, that goes the same way for, for threat actors that are doing bad. You know, gone are the days of, you know, poorly spelled email messages from a Nigerian prince, you know, asking for a thousand dollars. Now you're seeing well-crafted, well-articulated messages that are designed for you as an individual because that research has been done by AI models for threat actors. And so as we think about protecting our organizations, it's preparing all of our employees to do battle in that new space for them. It's really interesting. You mentioned ransomware. I read an article just this morning that we're also on pace to set a record for the number of data breaches uh, and it's not even close. It's up like 150% year sure. over year from last year. W what's a typical ask from a ransomware perspective as far as dollar amounts? I mean, I think you're you're seeing in, in the reports the average hitting over a million dollars this year. Um, and, and obviously there are some big ones that make the news, right? Some high dollar ones. But for small and medium-sized businesses, that number and that average grows every single day, right? As you think about the disruption to operations, the information that threat actors have about what impact that's going to do, they're better at tuning their ask of a ransom to what is the pain point that you will pay for to get your data back, right? Because that's that's really, at the end of the day, the model for them, right? They, they want to get paid so they can... Uh, you know, fund the rest of their operations. 
So they've got to have that balancing act of asking for uh, enough that it's going to not be so painful that you'll tell them to go away, um, but not so small that it doesn't matter, right? And you haven't made anything. You haven't made your return on your your you know cyber investment, right? When you broke into the company, Ken, it's not necessarily an emerging threat, but it is certainly an emerging requirement. Talk about the new SEC regulations for publicly traded companies in the states and what those requirements are around cyber. Yeah, this is brand new. Um, the SAC has a mandate out now for publicly traded companies that if a cyber incident is uh, described to be material, and again, there's a definition there if you want to look that up, but if it's impactful to a business, um, there's a requirement coming up. I think it's going to start mid-December is what I understand, but... Uh, requirement for businesses to report a cyber incident within four business days of that incident happening, um, which is a pretty quick turnaround for for a company that may be in, uh, you know, the throes of trying to save their business. Um, but yeah, this requirement requires that you get on there. They have a a site called uh, or a filing mechanism called Edgar which you can get on and, and file the particulars of exactly what's happened, you know, loss amounts, the impact to your business, if you're down, you know, when do you expect to be up, just all the details of that incident. So that's the first part of it is that requirement. The big part is the four day requirement. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a requirement that uh, at the year end that you file kind of a report of what your business is doing to protect yourselves from a cyber event. Um, so that requirement is new also. Um, this is, you know, groundbreaking. It's, it's different than what we've seen. Uh, a new requirement. There's still a lot of little things to be worked out. Um, I will say that also there is a caveat that if it's uh, a national security threat or public safety, it, it might compromise public safety that you can request to uh, delay your reporting for 30 to 60 days to the SEC. Uh, but again, that's uh, going to be difficult to get. I think most companies are going to have to report within the four days uh, if they've had an event. It's interesting, Ken, because you and I had a little email exchange around that exemption from the attorney general's office yep. because it's not easy to know how to even get that. And I even asked you, I said, you know, what, what are you hearing? And, Initially coming out of it, like I don't even think you were very sure about it. Yeah, no, the mechanism hasn't been put in place on how that is done exactly. So I think that's still being worked out. With this new annual reporting where organizations have to sort of describe in their report, in their annual report, what mechanisms they have in place to be more cyber protected and cyber resilient. The question that I have is how much of that is putting pressure on the board. Does this extend legal repercussions to the boardroom for having a certain level of qualifications when it comes to cyber readiness? Yeah, I, I definitely think this is an area that the FTC and SEC have been active in for a few years. You saw uh, a couple of years ago a requirement uh, by the SEC to have a cybersecurity professional on your board. Now, the definition around that was was vague, um, and a lot of board members at that level, you know, are are not cybersecurity experts, right? So, what does that mean? They're they're going to classes, they're learning, right? But somebody 
on the board now has to be a named individual that's kind of qualified to speak on behalf of cybersecurity. That's that's the start is having somebody in the room that's asking the questions. Um, you know, as as many of of you in the audience that are working on the business resiliency side know, there a board's plate is full and it's always going to be full. And if there's nobody in the room that's asking those questions, then then that topic is never going to enter into the agenda. It's never going to hit the minutes. And so the fact that we've got somebody that's specifically targeted for cybersecurity issues, because that that is for most organizations, the number one existential risk to their organization is around cybersecurity and business resiliency. Um, that makes it that makes a difference. That moves the needle. I'm going to stay with you, Michael, because I know a lot of the work that you do is with organizations to help get them ready and to help make them more cyber resilient. So what does that mean? Uh, that's the title of our webinar today. What does it mean to be cyber resilient? So what are some of the main components of that from your perspective? And when you do your assessments, what are you looking for in an organization to determine whether they're ready or not? Yeah, great question. You know, one one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is is being on the proactive front, right? So there's tons of firms out there who who will come in and and be the firefighters of the world. Once you've had an event, once something has gone bump in the night, come in and, and help you put out that fire. You know, we try to work on the other end of the spectrum to help organizations avoid that. You know, the things that that we look for are around people, process, and technology. Um, we really look at the maturity of those processes, of how that technology is used. Many organizations look for technology to kind of be the savior uh, to get them out of cybersecurity. They look to buy tools and, and install those on laptops and servers and, you know, protect their website from, you know, from all sorts of bad things and, and you know, kind of prevent adversaries from, from getting in. And that's certainly one component, one pillar of it. But if you don't have anybody that's there to answer those alerts when when that thing says, hey, something has gone wrong and you should look at this then it's all for naught, right? That technology hasn't been as effective as it could be. So it has to be, there has to be somebody on the other end to receive that alert. And then that individual has to know what to do. There has to be process in place um, so that they understand what that information is telling them, what that system may be, what information you know might be at question there. And that's really what we're looking for is, is those things in balance and those things happening consistently enough that it's moving an organization forward. Warren, let me jump over to you here. So uh, as you're aware of different cyber incidents uh, with different organizations and so forth, uh, from your perspective, what are you seeing as the big gaps? Yeah, so a lot of the gaps uh, that that I kind of see out there are really just lack lack of preparation, right? For for an incident uh, when it when it does occur, right? And and some of the things again, CISA sounds kind of similar to, to to Michael there as far as that we try to we try to help organizations before that before that bad day happens, right? Before that incident happens, but. Um, simple things as far as having policies, group policies, plans in place, right? Incident response plan, um, making sure you have one of those, making sure you've tested your incident response plan. Um, simple things like backup procedures, right? Make sure you test those backups. Make sure that um, if you are doing backups, that they're immutable, right? Uh, just, just certain things like that that um, are kind of out there. Um, make sure you do these things before you have that incident, before you have that failure happen, 
test, 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 right? And make sure you have things documented so that way you can go back and, and have something something you can you can rely on a little bit better than, than maybe memory. I'm going to put my naive hat on here, right? Because everything that you've said, all three of you, everything that you said is common sense. That's common sense. So surely everyone understands it and surely everyone's doing this. No? Yeah. No, no I, I go, go ahead, Warren. Yeah, I was going to say it's one of those. It, sometimes it's the the simple things that get overlooked, right? Like Michael was saying that uh, everybody buys tools and the automation and they kind of can re- try to rely on technology, right, to, to, to protect them and to get them ready. But it's also mm-hmm. it's also about being prepared, about documenting, which sometimes, you know, it, it's hard. You don't have you don't spend the time you should on the documentation and, and and getting these things approved as you do on implementing the technology in, in certain cases. I just want to jump in here real quick that, that like you're saying, it's not just the technology has to be focused on, but it's your employees. It's the people. They're the number one targets of how, you know, your systems are being exploited it is uh, we need to educate our employees and, uh, you know, have those, uh, seminars or whatever that they understand what a phishing email looks like, mm-hmm. what they can and can't click on. Um, that's, that's the number one point of vulnerability that we see the cases that we're working. The entry point was through one of the employees in the company. One of the things that we also were talking about is, is effective response. Um, a lot of times we think of cyber as being a technology problem and it is, but it's not only a technology problem. So when we think about cyber response, a crisis management response to a cyber incident, Warren, I guess we'll start with you. Talk about some best practices there and what you might be looking for. Yeah, so I, I could tell you one of the things I was going to, and it even kind of ties into the previous discussion we were having around standards. Um, I, I'm thinking about CIS. So CIS, tied to the NIST cybersecurity framework, we have the uh, cybersecurity performance goals, CPGs. Um, and they're aligned to the NIST cybersecurity framework, and they go over a lot of basically best practices that organizations can follow um, for their information technology assets and their operational technology assets, right? And any IT, OT and IT assets that they may have. Uh, but one of the things that when it comes to responses, I guess, kind of start with the basics, right? You have to know what what you're protecting, um, right? So having good asset inventory uh, of what you have, so you know what you have to to protect and, and Ken mentioned it earlier, um, people, right? Educating the people um, uh, culture within the organization, letting, let, making sure everybody knows that cybersecurity is not just an IT and it's not just technology, but it's also about uh, everybody in the organization being responsible for cybersecurity, um, reporting things when they happen. If, if something goes bump on your computer or things are acting a little bit off, um, make sure that there's a mechanism for those types of things to get reported to whether it's your service desk, help desk, so they can be uh, evaluated. Um, I already talked about the incident response plan, but one of the other items is uh, I, I said test, test, test earlier, right? Tabletop uh, mm-hmm. exercises are great things to for for organizations to go through to to make sure that again they are prepared for when that. I won't say if, but when that incident does occur in the organization, so so that way they can do, go look at lessons learned, right? Okay, we went through this tabletop exercise. Where do we need to improve? What what kind of things do we need to um, get better at and add to our incident response plan? And 
and again, another shameless plug, I guess, for CISA, but we have uh, on our website uh, tabletop exercises that are already pre-built that organizations can download and use. Uh, they're nice. Word documents. You just basically put in your organization and their scenario is already pre-built out, um, whether they're cyber or physical or 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 touching on that convergence uh, kind of things between the cyber and physical world. So um, we have, uh, again, those tabletop exercises, download them, uh, use them, and and have the organization go through them and, and uh, perform those tabletop exercises to, to be prepared. Michael, I feel like you and I have a similar approach when it comes to crisis management after a cyber attack in that let the technology folks do their thing and focus on restoration and bring in other subject matter experts to do uh, other equally important things. Absolutely. And, you know, I think this really goes to what Warren talked about in terms of testing. So the organization understands the process and methodology that's going to be used during uh, a crisis and that everybody understands their role and responsibility during that. So that, uh, you know, everybody from the board all the way down to, you know, the engineers that are pulling logs understand what their part in the machine is and what their goal is at that time. And then making sure that communication is happening, you know, to the organization, to your stakeholders, to the public, to your customers, you know, whatever, whatever that impact is going to look like, making sure that you have the right messaging that's going out so that you're not getting behind that narrative and having, um, you know, having that put upon you, right? Uh, you know, and, and losing that battle. Right. We've been talking about organizations. And I think maybe for some people uh, who have joined today, they're thinking about large corporations. Let's shrink it down a little bit, because what we're talking about here today isn't just for enterprise organizations. Ken, what's your view and recommendations to even small organizations, small companies of, you know, 50 people or fewer? Yeah. I mean, I'll bring it down to the individual person because for example, ransomware, we know that it hits not just businesses, but it hits home users too and encrypts their data at home, all their pictures, all their documents they need. And, you know, maybe it's only three to $500 that, that they want, but still it's an impact to the individual. But I think these principles that we've all discussed here are applicable across the board. For example, you know, on your personal email accounts, on your Gmail, Microsoft accounts, MFA is available where, you know, it takes you a code and you have to put it in. Is it a pain? Absolutely. Um, it adds an additional step for you getting to your data, but that's a mechanism put in place that's going to help you protect yourself and your organization from, from getting infected with malware. So I think uh, a lot of these same things apply across the board, not just to large organizations, but to, down to individuals. I will say that absolutely we're seeing a targeting of maybe industries or smaller companies that may not invest as much in cybersecurity um, because they're the lower hanging fruit. And so, you know, they're going to bet that they don't have a cybersecurity plan in place and aren't focusing a lot of resources to it uh, so that they can get, um, you know, additional money. When we talk to cyber criminals, they're after money. And I just want to throw a plug in for law enforcement here because yep. that's my job is, yep. is hopefully part of your cybersecurity plan is is somewhere in there to, to contact law enforcement, contact DHS, FBI. I don't care who, but in order for us to better protect our country, we need to know what's going on out there. Um, and, and companies are on the front lines of that. 
And our goals as, as, uh, as law enforcement is we're hired to investigate and hopefully make somebody accountable for what they've done. That's, that's our job. And we're not out there to further embarrass any companies or tell them they should have done something that we're not regulatory in any manner. Um, we want to deter crime and the way we do that is putting people in jail. So having that information and having it reported out is absolutely important to us. All right. I want to shift here now a little bit and talk about the industry, talk about the cybersecurity industry, because there's a couple of important things I want to get to. My understanding is that we don't have enough skilled professionals in this industry, in the cybersecurity industry. Is that true? And what can we do about that? Like, Or what is being done to attract more people to the industry? Yeah, I can. Uh, so I, I was looking, uh, <laughs> looking at this a little bit earlier. And so uh, we have, uh, there's a website out there, uh, Organization National Initiative for Cybersecurity Careers and Studies, NICCS. Um, and they basically have projected that there's currently a three, there are currently 3.4 million open cybersecurity positions worldwide. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that does kind of show that there's probably a little bit of a, a need uh, for cybersecurity professionals uh, around the world, uh, basically. Um, and, and some of the things that I know are happening, at least, so there's a, another website, cyber.org, um, uh, that is out there that is uh, for introducing K through 12. So kindergarten through 12, basically early on education about cyber cybersecurity career pathways and and getting uh, getting them involved with some STEM and and mm-hmm. maybe letting them participate in different camps or um, uh, whether it's a blue team, red team kind of events, capture the flag kind of things, really just to, to get them interested and let them know that these careers are out here and and how they could participate in them and and to make them. Uh, make them fun, right? So, so that way, uh, again, it's about educating. Uh, I think and letting the youth know what what's out there and what's available to try to try to fill those gaps that are that are out there. What are you seeing around diversity in the industry? People of color, uh, women in the industry. What what kind of trends do we have there? I think this is an area that you see across the technology space really struggle with. Um, but there are a lot of programs to Warren's point that are trying to grow the workforce and, and grow the areas um, that can connect, you know, non-traditional folks in technology to cybersecurity. And I think that's one of the great spaces around cybersecurity is that it's not um, it's not your traditional technology role. It, it can be around you know, kind of the engineering and, and software development piece, absolutely. But it can also be around policy, education, um, awareness, training, all of these different aspects of the security program draw in, you know, many other, you know, kind of backgrounds and, and people, you know, kind of that have different backgrounds than may have what come to technology, you know, kind of normally. And so I think it's a space that is really ripe for that diversity um, to come forward and, and really bloom. All right, here's the hardest question for all of you, and I'm and I'm serious about this. It was put in the chat. How do we know if we are ever really truly cyber resilient? Is that something we can even know? Yeah, there's not a hundred percent cyber resi- resiliency, but I it's very analogous. I like to use this analogy because I, I think people can better understand it. Is like protecting your home. How many things are you going to put in place so that it's protected from somebody breaking in? Are you going to have lights, a dog, locks, uh, a system? electronic system on windows, on doors, how many different things are you going to put in place? So when somebody comes to your house, they're not 
They're going to see how protected it is and go somewhere else. It's very similar in the protecting your networks. You know, it's a multi-layer. How many different technologies you can put in place? Are you going to educate your employees? Are you going to use MFA? Are you going to block RDP? You know, all these different things that you can put in place so you're not the low-hanging fruit. Can you ever gain 100% that nobody can ever get in? Absolutely not. It's, it's not attainable. But you can protect yourself better than your neighbors so that when they come to you, they're not going to get in. They're going to go to somebody else. Yeah, I I echo a lot of what Ken was saying there as well, right? You can never be 100% really like uh, same same as like nobody's perfect, right? Um, so it, it's just one of those things that uh, to, to, to work at, continue to to implement some of those things like Ken was saying, defense in depth with with different areas and make try to make yourself not as not as easily access as a easily accessible as maybe somebody else's. Um, uh, uh, but yet work on those things. And again, hard to be 100% resilient, but uh, just work at it. Yeah, I think this is an age old battle that we've been fighting, right? When, you know, anytime there has been a defense mechanism put in place, there's a new uh, weapon to to take that down. And I think cybersecurity is, is in that same stream of thought for all of our organizations. Michael, Warren, Ken, thank you so much. We're honored to have you here. And thank you so much for your insights and taking the time to share with our audience today. I want to thank Warren, Ken, and Michael for being my guests this week on the podcast and for being panelists for the Resilience Think Tank's webinar on making your organization cyber resilient. The Resilient Journey is a Resilience Think Tank production, and we have another great guest lined up for next week. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.